First John chapter two, verses 15 through 17 is our text. And then we'll also be taking a trip to Genesis three and Matthew four. You guys ever thought about the fact that there are situations where it's actually wrong to love? What? Well, let me put it this way. In most instances, I think all of us, we'd want to be part of Calvary Chapel of the Lakes and say that this is a loving church, right? That unless I finish this sentence differently, you would, you would want to hopefully be able to say Calvary Chapel of the Lakes always loves, right? But what if, I mean, what if, let's do it the, the, the right way first. You'd want people to be able to say Calvary Chapel of the Lakes always loves people. Calvary Chapel of the Lakes always loves those who make themselves enemies. Calvary Chapel of the Lakes always loves God, always loves righteousness, right? But you wouldn't want to finish the sentence this way. The church, Calvary Chapel of the Lakes, always loves sin. Calvary Chapel of the Lakes always loves themselves. Money. Power. Calvary Chapel of the Lakes always loves drugs. Pornography, gossip, backbiting, unforgiveness. Hey, who wants to go? No? See, there are things, right, that it's wrong to love. One of the themes, if you've been with us in, in the book of 1 John, that we've seen as we've gone through, one of the key ideas, concepts to get is this idea of fellowship with God. Uh, the very beginning, John starts right out saying, look, he who was from the beginning, speaking of Jesus, he came and he, he walked on this earth with, with hands, with feet, with skin. God with skin on, right? And he says by, by he doesn't get further than verse 3 by saying, look, we, have a, we had fellowship. When he walked this earth, John was one of the 12. When he walked on this earth, we had fellowship with God with skin on. And we want you to have that same kind of fellowship. And that leads to joy. Freed, uh, to be filled with joy, that's chapter 1, verse 4. To be freed from sin, chapter 2, verse 1. We can, be, we can fend off deception, chapter 2, verse 26. And we can have firm assurance of our salvation, chapter 5, verse 13. And all of it is wrapped up with this idea of fellowship with God. You guys tracking with me so far? Okay. Now, just like any relationship, we can do things to foster this fellowship or to hinder this fellowship. And we've seen this through uh, the first couple chapters. John gives us a few things to think about. Look, if you want to foster this fellowship with God, one thing you're going to be wanting to do is be in constant confession. Chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. You see that? It says, look, if you want to foster this relationship with God, you want to walk in obedience. When he says to do something, you want to do it. If you want to foster this relationship we saw just last Sunday... Love the brethren, right? Uh, flip side, <clears throat> to hinder this relationship, here's a few things you can do. You can ignore your sin. You can deny your sin into chapter one. You can choose to be disobedient, first part of chapter two. You can hate your brother or your sister in Christ. You can let something get between you and them. God says, look, now it's between you and me. And there's at least one more way we're going to see today that you can hinder your fellowship with God. You guys want to discover what it is? Sort of. Okay. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17. 
And I want you guys to, uh, you guys want to participate? Okay. I'm going to give you guys one word to read. And you guys will just read that word. I'll read all the rest of them. And by the end, see if you can tell me what thing might hinder your fellowship with God. Ready? First John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not, oh, I didn't tell you the word. The word is world. World. Okay, got it? Chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. There's one more thing that can... Hinder your fellowship with the Father. Any idea what it might be? <laughs> the, the love of the world. One of the things that will hinder our relationship with our Heavenly Father is loving the world. Now, we're going to see what that means here in just a second. But whatever it does mean, verse 15, look at it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. First thing to notice is that this is an either-or proposition, an either-or situation, right? If you, whatever it means, love the world, you will not love the Father. It's either-or. Reminds me of Luke chapter 16, verse 13, where Jesus said, No servant can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. That verse does not say no man should serve two masters. Like it's not a good idea. No, it actually says no man can. Like it's, a, it's an impossibility to serve two completely different masters. You can't say, okay, you're the boss and you're the boss. It's not, you can't do it. Loving the world, whatever that means prevents us from loving the Father. That's why, even though you don't see it in the English, in the Greek, this is what's called the imperative mood. That's uh, where it says, do not love. That verb is in the imperative mood. Um, This is from the Blue Blue Letter Bible. This expresses a command to the hearer to perform a certain action by the order and authority of the one commanding. Thus, Jesus' phrase, repent ye and believe the gospel, is not at all an invitation, but an absolute command requiring full obedience on the part of all the hearers. don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying, but John is not saying, hey, it's not a good idea for you to love the world. He actually is saying this would probably be the, the more accurate translation. Stop loving the world. It's a command. It's in the imperative. It means stop loving the world because, here's why, it will kill the love that you have for the Father. So, whatever he means by the world, we're supposed to stop loving it. Have we established that? Okay. Now, what does he mean by the world? There's a few possibilities. I think we can uh, discard a, a couple right off the bat. Does he mean, for instance... Do not love the world. Does he mean stop loving the planet? In other words, are we not to appreciate the majesty of the Grand Canyon or the beauty of all the mountains that he's put on this planet? Are we not to look at the ocean and be in awe? Are we not to be good stewards of the planet? I mean, if you took that take on this verse, then 
You could back up a dump truck to the Grand Canyon, dump all your stuff in, say, hey, look, First John 2, 15. Do not love the world. No. He created the planet, right? It's ours to enjoy, but also ours to be good stewards over. Okay? So that's not in this verse at all. Number two, then, does he mean stop loving the people of the world? Of course not. That takes no rocket scientist. Um, John chapter 3, verse 16. It's a pretty familiar verse for most people. For God so loved the world, that is the people inside the world. Raise your hand if you're in the world. Okay, right? Okay. If you were born into this world, God loves you. Okay. This is not saying do not love the people in the world. For God so loved the, the whole world that he gave the most precious thing, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. So if God loves the people of the world, then he obviously wants us to love the people of the world. So he's not talking about the planet. He's not talking about the people. Well, then what is it that we should not love of the world? Well, if you were taking notes and you've got those two P's down, planet, people, here's a few more P's for you. See if I can say it fast. We should not love the philosophies or the proposition or the perks of the fallen world. Did you catch that? Not the philosophies or the propositions or the perks of the fallen world. What he's talking about is this collective mindset, this collective philosophy of a world, think about it, that hates God. I mean, much of the world doesn't even believe he exists and then kind of illogically says, but if he does exist, I don't like the way he's doing things. He says, do not love the philosophies, the proposition, the way the whole world thinks. Here's just a few examples. I was thinking we could go on and on and on about this. But here's a few philosophies of the world that the world tells you until you know any different from the Bible. You think, OK, yeah, that makes sense. World tells you to get to the top of the heap. Doesn't matter really who you need to step on. The world tells you to look out for number one. The world tells you to get more stuff. The world tells you if it feels good, just do it. The world tells you if it looks good, take it. The world's philosophies and propositions have basically banished the, the whole ideas of guilt and shame. The the world's philosophies and propositions have banished the idea of right and wrong. That it's all subjective, right? Well, that might be right for you, but it's not right for me. The, the world's philosophies and propositions have turned adultery, fornication, homosexuality, all of it just into alternate lifestyles. That's the world's propositions, right? It's those philosophies, those propositions... Please understand, not the people involved, but those philosophies, propositions, the perks that the fallen world is offering you. That's the stuff that John says, the Holy Spirit says through John, we are not to love. We are not to, the word actually means to embrace. Here's the deal. You might be thinking, well, okay, but why? Why do we need to not buy into those philosophies. Well, here's the thing. When you draw back the curtain on those things, the philosophies, the propositions, the perks of the fallen world, here's what you find. The puppet master 
is pulling all the strings. If you, if you look just a couple chapters back, First uh, John chapter 5, verse 19, you see it? It says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The New Living Translation puts it this way. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the power and control of the evil one, the puppet master. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, read this way. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. All the same concept, that there is this enemy... Who's pulling the strings? Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four is speaking of unbelievers. Listen, he describes them. Paul describes them to the Corinthians as those whose minds have been blinded by the God of this age. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Basically, when you pull back the philosophies of the world, you figure out where they're coming from. See, this may be new to some of you. I'm sure most of you had already figured this out. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they handed over control, uh, the title deed to the world, its thinking, all that kind of thing. They handed it over to the enemy. And we were all born, as it were, with strings attached. Right? The puppet master makes us dance, makes us do the things that he wants us to do, till Jesus comes and sets us free. And that means that we do not now have to obey the puppet master. Uh, If you're a Christian, you can speak in those great words of that theologian Pinocchio. I have no strings to hold me down. Right? You don't have to do his bidding, but you can. This is the world that that philosophies, that the propositions, the perks that the world offers you, that's the world that we are to reject, that we are not to embrace. Because the Bible says no one can serve two masters. And do you see that when you love the world, it's not just the world that you're serving, it's the one who's pulling the strings. Uh, the, the New Living Translation of chapter 2, verse 15, reads this way. It's probably the, the easiest to understand on this one. Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. Now, in case the whole concept of the world is still a little fuzzy for you, John is merciful. He breaks it down into three categories. Look at verse 16. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Holy Spirit Uh, Speaking through John says, look, all of the philosophies, those propositions, the perks that this world offer you, they basically come in three varieties, three different flavors of the same toxic stew. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Basically, the, the puppet master has three different plays in his playbook. And John identifies them right here. How many of you guys have or are playing football in school? Used to play, I mean, or, or are playing now. Wow. Okay, why don't you? Just a few. All right. Let me ask you. Maybe you've played uh, intramural or whatever. What if you were on a team and the other team only had three plays? 
And you could identify each one of them by the way they, they lined up. It's pretty good for you, right? Not so good for the other team. Pretty good for you. Wouldn't it be true then that the only way that that team could defeat you is if you were lazy or not paying attention or you wanted to get beat? Everything that the puppet master offers you via the world, all the things that he puts in front of you, that he offers you, boil down to one of these three plays when you think about it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let's look at that first one, the lust of the flesh. But first notice, did you notice that it does not say that the flesh itself is not of the Father, but of the world. Matter of fact, that's really important because what were the Gnostics teaching? They were the ones that one of the things John is trying to do is to make sure that their teaching doesn't take the day. What the, one of the things that the Gnostics taught was that all matter is evil. So our bodies themselves are evil. Um, and so then that would lead them to a couple false uh, suppositions. One is, OK, my, my body is evil, so I'm going to try to beat it into submission. I'm going to try to. Uh, really be hard on it and that will somehow make me righteous or holy the other extreme was well my body's evil but I'm really not attached to it so I'm going to do what I want well John does not say either of those things he does not say that the flesh itself is evil what he says is the lust of the flesh so really the key word in that in that phrase is the word lust it's epithemia it means to desire to have a craving a longing for what is forbidden See, and probably you guys know this already, there are certain drives in our flesh, right, that are given to us by God, that they were designed by God, they are to be satisfied and enjoyed the way that God wants them enjoyed. But each one of them, when you think about it, can be twisted or inflated and become fuel for this thing called lust, the lust of the flesh. Let me give you some examples. Uh, the food drive, right? God intends for us to eat, right? Seems pretty obvious. He intends for us to eat. That way he makes us hungry and he makes great food for us to be satisfied with. He gives us the thirst drive, right? He intends for us to drink. He makes us thirsty. He gives us plenty of good options of healthy liquids to drink. God gave us that. But here's the thing. The puppet master, he's got the whole world on a string. He wants us then, he wants to take these things, these God-given drives, and turn them into these lusts. Let me give you an example. You can think of almost every possible holy and righteous drive and see what the, the enemy has done. We have a drive to breathe. Pretty important drive, right? <laughs> Breathing in and out is good. Okay. Do you realize that he's got some of us paying other people to manufacture devices to bring toxic chemicals into our lungs? It's a, it's a normal um, drive, but the enemy has turned it into something that literally will kill us, right? We have hunger. That's a normal drive. The enemy will turn it into gluttony. We have thirst. It's a normal drive. The enemy will turn it into drunkenness. We have the drive to sleep. I have that drive right now. Maybe you do too. The enemy will turn it into sloth, laziness. We have the drive for sex. 
the enemy will turn that into perversion, fornication, adultery. It reminds me again of an illustration. Maybe you've heard this. Um, sex, it is a gift from God, right? And it's meant to be enjoyed in the parameters that he intends for it to be. It's like if you put a fire in a fireplace, it warms the whole house, right? It's a good thing. If you put a fire in the carpet, it brings the whole thing down. There are parameters. There are specific ways that the Lord desires for us to be satisfied in the ways that he would have. But the enemy comes and twists it and turns it and makes it something that when you do succumb to his schemes, his plans, then you find yourself on this this treadmill where you're never satisfied with the things that he says that are going to be so satisfying to you. So there's the lust of the flesh. Then he says the lust of the eyes. Now, interesting that both you can have flesh. Your flesh has this lust, but also it says your eyes. When you think about it, that's not all that unusual. Don't we say things like feast your eyes on this? Right. Or my eyes were bigger than my stomach. That's harder for me to say these days. It's your stomach gets bigger. It's harder to say. <clears throat> The idea is that God gives us eyes that he intends for us to appreciate the beauty or to bring learning into our brains, our, our minds. Right. The eyes are the window to the soul. The eyes are not satisfied. If we uh, if we allow them to not be satisfied with good and wholesome things. And since the eyes are the window to the soul and the mind, then think about it. Everything that you allow into your mind takes up sides in the battle for your mind. Everything that you allow into through this portal, your eyes, takes up sides for the battle in your mind. So in this category, then, out of the three plays, this second category would be included things that we should not. We know because the Holy Spirit lives in us. We know we should not be watching or reading or allowing to come into this portal. And the reason, again, is not because God doesn't want you to have fun or to enjoy beauty, but because it's always a trap. It's always the puppet master, the one behind the scenes going, OK, this looks like this is going to satisfy you. But watch this. How many of you guys have seen the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? OK, you remember it? OK. I'm going to embarrass Rachel. Stand up. No, don't stand up. <clears throat> me, me and Rachel and uh, and Haley, my my niece, um, long long story. But we the, the youth group group went up to uh, up to South Carolina to do a mission trip. And um, since then, Rachel and Haley became good friends, and uh, they have been hanging out quite a bit uh, together whenever Haley's in town. And they were over uh, to Lisa and my house uh, a few weeks back. And for whatever reason, we started watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And I was like, hey, wait a second. This is a perfect uh, illustration. How many of you guys remember the candy man? Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Freaky. I think he's probably this, one of the scariest dudes ever. Um, he's this guy, a little short guy. He's got a big, ugly nose and all this. But he, he goes around and he dances and he has this colorful outfit. And he's, he goes to the children. And what he's trying to do is capture children. And he's like, come, I've got candy. 
And he gets them all pulled into this, this what looks like this portable or this uh, mobile candy shop. And then once they're in, the, uh, the sides fall off the, the truck and they realize that they're in prison. The, the lust of the eyes. And he uses these things. And then what we find is that we are imprisoned by the things that looked so good. So there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And then this last one, and the pride of life. Let me define that for you real quick. This is that desire to be better than the next guy, to look better or to have more. This is encapsulated by the, the idea, it was, was back at what, 15, 20 years ago, he who dies with the most toys wins. Remember that? This is the philosophy that looks at our earthly existence as the game of life and the way that you win is by getting more than the next guy. Um, this is uh, happened last weekend, I guess. Fraser, Michigan. A game of Monopoly was has landed a Michigan man in jail. Uh, WDIV-TV reported a 50-year-old man was playing the board game Saturday night with a female friend when he tried to buy Park Place and boardwalk from her. When she refused, uh, he hit her in the head, breaking her glasses. This is the idea of, look, this is, this is important to me, so I don't care who, who it hurts, what it costs. This is looking at the game of life as something to be won by uh, defeating the next guy. This is um, an insolent and empty assurance which trusts in its own power and resources and shamefully despises and violates divine laws and human rights. This is an impious and empty presumption, listen to this, which trusts in the stability of earthly things. So this is all of the... (laughs) Some of, some of us are familiar with this. This was our 401k, right? This was the thing that you thought, okay, this is going to be my support system. This is the kind of thing that's going to stick with me through thick and thin. And you may have discovered, okay, that's not working. The pride of life is that philosophy of the world that makes you want to keep up with the Joneses. It was Will Rogers, I think, who said, look, this is what makes us buy things Uh, that we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people we don't like. (laughs) Included in this concept, the pride of life would be materialism, smugness, condescension. Morally, you can you can have the pride of life about your great moral standing Uh, materially. All of that stuff comes from this, the pride of life. So look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He wants you to know, look, everything that's that's put in front of you, it's really important to know where that's coming from. Is that coming from the Father? Or is that coming from the world, which is currently under the sway of the evil one? But he's only got three plays. How is it that they work so well? They do work pretty well, and they work pretty well together. Have you ever thought about the fact that Madison Avenue, like, uses these brilliantly all the time? These three drives, these three propositions of the puppet master. Let me give you an example. Your typical automobile ad. I, I, without even finding an automobile ad, I figured, okay, I can construct one for you. Tell me if this doesn't sound like a decent 
automobile ad. Feel the power and the handling of this great machine. What's that? The lust of the flesh. Notice the exquisite lines and the attention to detail. Oh, and that half-naked woman over there. The lust of the eyes. Be the envy of all your friends by owning this masterpiece. What's that? The pride of life. Beer commercials are the same, right? It tastes great. There's always beautiful women. Whenever you pop the top, it's weird. (laughs) And you're going to have these great memorable times with all of your wealthy friends. See, the puppet master has these three plays. He pours them into everything that he does. He's just got three plays, and yet we still fall for it. Well, we're not alone. Eve did too. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. It's crazy to me that you can see these three really explicitly pointed out here. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? There's that first idea is, well, maybe I can sort of tell you that maybe God wasn't quite right about this. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, which he never said, by the way, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's trying to keep you from something. He's trying to mess with your fun. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that, look at this, the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. Then she took of it, of its fruit, and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. He used, the, the serpent used all three plays on Eve. And she fell for him. She justified, she rationalized each one, I'm sure, right? I mean, wouldn't you? The serpent comes. The first thing you're going to say to yourself, well, it looks pretty good for food. And I am hungry. God gave me this appetite, right? I mean, never, the, never mind the fact that there's lots and lots of other trees here that I could eat from. But I'm hungry and it does look good for food. It's pleasant to the eyes. Matter of fact... Before he mentioned it, I didn't notice how good that thing looked. But now compared to all this other good fruit, and there's some good fruit here, that one looks irresistible. That's amazing. And, and it will make me wise. I mean, if this kind sir with the lisp is right, then maybe God is just keeping me from being my best self now. Maybe he doesn't want me to be all that I can be. I mean, what's the harm? So she takes the bite. She takes the, the fruit, but she had no idea that all the strings that were attached. Now, that's how not to do it. Okay, turn with me to Matthew chapter four. And we see how to do it. How to deal with these propositions, these perks that are proposed, these um, philosophies of the world. Matthew chapter four, look at verse one. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. By the way, don't ever forget that. 
Jesus, the God of all the universe, was hungry. He was, yes, he was fully God, but he was fully man. That means that we cannot say, Jesus, you just don't understand this temptation, the one that I'm going through. You can't say that. He was hungry. He was 40 days hungry, guys. Verse 3, now when the tempter came to him, he said, and he goes right for the jugular, look, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. See, the puppet master uses the lust of the flesh. Like, you're hungry, right? I mean, come on. You can do anything. Just turn these stones into bread. You guys want to participate real quick? As we uncover, we discover the the way that we can uh, successfully not love the world. All right, here we go. Your phrase this time is, it is written. Ready? Verse 4. But he answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, so defeated. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for... Interesting, the devil uses now scripture, that snake, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now, these three things are out of order here, but right here, do we not see the pride of life? He turns to the devil, turns to Jesus and says, look, if you're special and apparently you're special, right? God really loves you. I mean, if you're all that. Well, just throw yourself down and God will rescue you, right? The pride of life. But verse 7, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 8, round 3. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things, look at all this stuff. All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Is that not the lust of the eyes? Now, something really important, again, to back up in case this concept of the fact that the the whole world is under the devil's sway. Do you notice here that Jesus never once says, hey, you're wrong. You don't own the world. You, You have no control here. Jesus never contested that concept. Right. So what that means is the whole world really is under the sway of the wicked one. And this is a real offer. This is an offer to Jesus. What the devil is saying to him is this. Look, I can offer a shortcut. Yeah, I know you and your father have talked about you, you coming and redeeming the world and having to die and all that messy stuff. But I, I can offer you the world right now. I can hand it all over to you. Here's the deal. You just bow down and worship me, and it'll all be set. I can give you everything your Father has promised you. You don't have to go to the cross for those disobedient, nasty people. Just do it my way. It's a shortcut. Don't delay your gratification. Just do the quickest possible thing. Just... Make yourself feel better. Don't worry about all those other people or or righteousness or any of that stuff. I can give you everything your father has promised, but with a lot less mess and stress. Verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. 
Then it says the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. He was hungry. Maybe they gave him angel food. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. First John chapter two. As we get ready to close here. Look, maybe you said in your heart today, okay, I hear you. I hear you, John. I hear you, Pastor Doug. You're saying stop loving the world. But how do you do that? I mean, how do you just stop loving? Well, number one, please don't forget that we have turned love into this weird, ethereal uh, emotion that you can't control. I fell in and I fell out of love. Please remember that love, according to the Bible, is a decision. It's an action. It's something that you say, I, husbands, I will love my wife. I will honor her. I will do the things that will bless her. Not, I don't know if I love you anymore. That's, that's, that's from the devil. That is one of those philosophies of the world. So number one, remember that it's not just a, an emotion that you can fall in and out of. It's an action. It's the decision. But maybe I think we need more than that. As far as help, how to stop loving the world. Read verse 15 again. Uh, and and um, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, fa- the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. How do you stop just loving? Well, how did Jesus resist these philosophies, these perks, these petitions? These propositions through the word of God. Because three times in each and every case, he said it is written. You guys not paying attention? It is written. So it's no surprise then. Look at our text. Second, uh, first John chapter two. We've been in verse 15. Now just back up one verse. No surprise then. That he says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you are strong and look and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Y'all, the victory comes in abiding or having the word abide in you. And the way that happens is to abide in the word, spend time in the word. But I need to tell you, because I think this fooled me for, for years. Please understand that it's good to memorize scripture. It's really good to to know where to turn for help in the scriptures. But please, please understand what we're not proposing here is a magic spell. Meaning, okay, I've got this verse and I'm going to say this verse and then the devil's just going to give up because I say the verse. Or I'm going to use the verse and I'm going to be like, okay, um, here's, here's the verse. Don't hurt me. See... It's really good to have the scriptures memorized and useful for you to to have the word abiding in you. But please do not think that the devil hears the scripture and then runs. The devil watches your actions. Let me give you an example. If you if your weakness is drunkenness, for instance, that is one of the lusts of the flesh. Then you can you can use the very same scripture that Jesus did in that exact instance. And that's not a bad thing. I would recommend it, but. You can say to to the devil when he comes, man shall not live by bread, hops, alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You can say that, but if the whole time you're saying it, you're driving to the liquor store, you're going to fail. You're going to fall. 
See, what you don't see in the scriptures, but is very obvious, is that Jesus had already settled in his mind obedience. He didn't say these words like, these are going to help me to obey. He said, this is what I've already settled, and this is what I'm stating. See, he'd already settled that obedience um, to those words. Um, it's really important for us to get that. You, you abide in the word, but we talked about it on Thursday. Uh, in, in verse 14, when, you, when you're seeing these young men who are victorious by abiding in the word, what, what describes a young person other than a voracious appetite and then the ability to turn that into action? Right? Metabolism. Well, you guys are like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> to a, a voracious appetite, taking the word in, but then knowing immediately to apply that word, to be willing to obey it. Okay, finally, lastly, I want to show you guys why this is so important. Let's get a running start as we uh, approach 17, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And here's why it's so important, guys. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. See, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, everything, listen, that looks so good to you right now is passing away. It is passing away. Um, the world and everything in it, think about it, especially the philosophies of the world, the propositions of the world, all of the perks that are promised you, every single one of them will be less than a vapor in eternity. If you die today, those will mean absolutely nothing to you. Let me put it this way. And the puppet master, when you really boil it down, is using broken and fading devices to try to get you to trade something eternal in for something that's very temporary. He's trying to get you to, to turn that which will last and have honor and the beauty that is good and right He's trying to get you to trade that in for twisted, cheap imitations that ultimately will kill you. Maybe you guys know somebody in your experience who, when they were younger, they, they pursued life in all its gusto. It's like, if what what's the... If uh, life is an apple, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to consume it. I don't remember how that goes. Um, here's another one, one of these philosophies. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Maybe, maybe you know somebody who, like, when they were younger, man, these guys, they are really enjoying life. Is there anybody like that when you look at their life now and you're like, whoa. Man, that was the wrong road to travel. I wish I had gone, gone through with it. What I wanted to do was give you guys a picture, two pictures of a young man named Chet Baker and a man 30 years later named Chet Baker. How many people know the name Chet Baker in the jazz world? Uh, trumpet player, okay, only a few of us. Um, this guy could play the trumpet like you wouldn't believe. He could sing like you wouldn't believe. He sang, had a version of My Funny Valentine that was like unstoppable. Nobody could touch him. He, he had the good looks of a movie star, literally did. I went and saw this movie about this guy, 
um, back at the Enzian Theater. I don't even know if that's still open. Um, and they showed a picture at the beginning of this guy. And it's like, man, that guy's got everything going for him. He pursued life in all of its gusto. He fell pretty much for every single proposition, uh, philosophy of the world. Got into heroin, all sorts of things. Then you see a picture of him 30 years later, and you would swear it was like 80 years later. See, there's evidence of the truth of these verses even before you get to eternity. It's all fading. It's all temporary. It's all sucking the life out of you. But then when you when you cross over into eternity, it becomes even more magnified, which is something that all of us need to deal with. Verse 17, the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The puppet master is using broken, fading devices to get you to trade in that eternal thing. And all of the things that are eternal, investing in your kids, all the stuff that actually lasts, he's trying to get you to trade that in for the temporary. I had, had another example that I wasn't going to use, but it just came to me. So, sorry. Um, there's a story. Actually, I think I have it here. This was May 13, 2008. An Australian driver who secured a carton of beer in his car with a seatbelt but left a five-year-old child unrestrained was fined uh, $710. Uh, Constable Wayne Burnett said he was shocked and appalled when he pulled over the unregistered car on Friday in the central Australian town of Alice Springs. A 30-can carton was strapped in between two adults sitting in the back seat of the car. The child was also in the back on the vehicle's floor. The child was sitting in the lump in the center, unrestrained. I have never seen anything like that before. This is the first time that beer has taken priority over a child. I, I would argue with that. It's not the first time that temporal things have taken priority over eternal things. The puppet master is using broken, fading devices to get us to trade in that which is eternal for that which is temporary. Things that last and have honor for things that will ultimately kill you. Verse 17, the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. There's your choice. The temporary or that which abides forever. We, we've seen that word abide. It means to stay, to be settled in. That is, things that abide forever, washing the feet of other servants, praying for those other servants. When you do all that God wills, when you make the choices that he wants you to make, this says your choices abide forever. See, we do have a choice to make, though, don't we? Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. Your goodness, we do have decisions to make. Lord, you know uh, every single heart. Lord, you know every situation here. Lord, I ask that you would uh, you'd help us to be real, to be honest. Pray that you'd help us, Lord, to uh, make decisions and plans, Lord, that would please you. Lord, we love you and we desire uh, that you'd be well pleased with us. Ask, Lord, that you would uh, take control of our thoughts and um, over these next few minutes especially, Lord. Honor yourself, Lord, uh, through, uh, through us, Lord, your servants. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.